2: All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Thursday pre-market prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Elkanen, Dennis Dick with you this morning, like every day. Why are we down? No one's really sure. Is it follow through from the Fed yesterday? Uh, Is it just pessimism about lack of a stimulus deal? Nervousness heading into the election? We've got a quad witch coming up. Uh, All these factors playing in here, but we were weak Uh, at the close yesterday, week again overnight. Uh, So we'll talk about that and sort of where that leaves us now, where that leaves tech in particular uh, now. Uh, and as we head into uh, what is really a vacuum of catalysts here for the next few weeks, uh, two guests on the docket for the day. Mark Chicken will be on at 8:15, 15. And then at 8:35 we have a new guest, Will Hershey. He's the co-founder and CEO of Roundhill Investments. He's got the NERD and the BETZ ETFs, uh, esports and sports betting. So we'll talk about those trades with Will at E35. Uh, I'll bring Joel on now. Actually, before I bring Joel on, uh, I want to see some more likes today. If we can get to up to 300, that will make my day. And now, Joel, update us on what has happened here overnight because we are weak, as I mentioned.
0: Yeah, good morning, traders and investors. Uh, we're in the red by 1.32%. That's 44 and a half handles. And we're 25 points off the low of the session. Uh, very weak attempt at a rally last night. Got about seven points above your closing price before we turned around. As I mentioned, 33.10 and a quarter, that's a big number. Last week's low is what we want to all keep an eye on, and that was 32, uh, yeah, into 32 handle, 32.85 and a quarter. That's your weekly low from last week. You have uh, crude down 9 cents after a nice rally over $40. Potential double top in crude at 40.34 and 40.39. Uh, gold meandering in the nineteen hundred handle, down eighteen dollars and eighty cents at nineteen fifty one seventy. Silver moving more than gold, down one point six percent, uh, or forty five cents at twenty seven oh three. And uh, Bitcoin, not once what it was, just hanging out here at eleven thousand, lost that level overnight, down one hundred and thirty dollars, at ten thousand eight hundred and eighty five. So. Dennis, why did the market get so upset over stuff that we already knew from Jerome Powell?
3: I, I don't know, but it's trading technically right now. And if you look here, here is the issue that I have with the overall market. The cues. Look at the cues. Don't look at the SPY. Look at the cues Because the SPY was saved a little bit, and not that it was saved at all, but it was helped yesterday by this rotation of value. But the market money started flying out of tech right after Powell started talking. And if you look where we failed on the queues, I and mean, we have multiple highs just around the 280 level. And yesterday, perfect, really double top from the day before 280, 45, 280, 36. And then we rolled over and sold off all day, all all like for the last two hours. That sell-off has continued this morning. We are off the overnight lows, but still significantly lower. And just like that, we go from the top of like the eight-day range to the to the bottom of the eight-day range, just like that. So do we bounce? The first time down at that low that we made four days ago, down 266 on, this, on the queues. I think we do. I think we bounced there maybe once, but this market is starting to look even more broken than it did before. We were talking about the trend and the key for this market was something that you said a few days ago is Apple. Apple 110 was critical to hold. I'm Full disclosure, I'm still long Apple, long-term portfolio, not selling out of that. But if you're in it for a trade, that 110, is getting breached here right now, and that's concerning for the overall market.
0: I agree. We talked about that. Got a really nice bounce off it, uh, really two times, and now you are below it. Ah, uh, I don't think I don't think we have a wager here because we're too far off. Well, we're on the but, same side. Well, we're on the same side too, but I, I just think a little bit longer term. I I, I think that that thirty five seventy six and a quarter. I think that's going to be the, the high for a long time. At why? Least, why? Uh, one thing the market doesn't like is uncertainty and you are coming into probably two of the most uncertain periods of time in the United States history coming into this, uh, coming into this election. And I don't see any major catalyst between now and then. I know earnings season uh, starts in October, but I, Uncertainty—the uh, outcome of the election. Either way, uh, people feel fear. Either way, and yeah. I just think that the prudent thing is to is to be on the sidelines. And I just don't see us ripping back up. You got the overhead supply issue now, mm-hmm. a lot of different things. You had the fluff rally and Apple and Tesla off yeah. the splits, um, snowflake. Uh, you know, just while you know you can keep saying these things, but I'm just this is more more feel and more technical than, you know, the, you know, that the economy is going to hell. This is just looking for catalysts.
3: I agree. I think the uncertainty of who's going to win, I, I think the market wants Trump. Like we're not political. I'm not saying what we want. I'm saying, I think the market wants Trump because it knows it gets the certainty of, you know, one that, you know, we have a president that is very much in favor of keeping the markets up at any cost, and we've seen that, we see him talk about the Dow on a regular basis. We know Biden will not be that way. Biden will not be focused on Wall Street. He will be more focused on Main Street. And I think the market's concerned about that as well. So as you get closer, and if Biden continues to lead in the polls, I think the market does in fact start to price some of that in. So is that what we're seeing here now? A little bit. We're seeing the fluff you know, that came out of you know the, the markets as well. I mean, it just got silly. You know, Apple going up, up, up because of the split, Tesla going up, up, up because of the split. And now you're seeing, you know, some repositioning and saying, hey, wait a second, you know, I can lose money in the stock market. Because anybody who started March, April, May, June, July, even August, you know, didn't realize it could lose money in the stock market. Now they're starting to realize it and a little bit of fear, maybe the FOMO turning into actually FOLO, which would be fear of losing out. And they're losing some physical money here right now in some of these tech stocks that have been darlings. So we've turned. Sentiments turned to a certain extent. The buy the dippers are still trying, but they're being met with major resistance from the sell the rippers. And are the sell the rippers going to you know win over here for the short term? They might. So again, I mean, it depends how you're positioned. If you got a lot of cash, you know, maybe you're you know, and, and like I, I like we know I I do because I raised a lot of cash and didn't get that money back in. You might be you know nibbling on some stocks, you know, nibbling on some good companies, uh, but. Coming in here and saying stocks are cheap, I gotta load up. Stocks are not cheap. Stocks, they just said on CNBC, are the most expensive they've been in 20 years on a you know on a multiple and a valuation perspective. So you know when you got Snow trading a hundred times revenues or whatever the hell it is, I mean it's 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 a silliness. Uh, allow so, me allow me to counterpoint here for a minute, please, <laughs> please. If, if
2: you've been one of these people that's been sitting on the sidelines this entire summer. Even waiting for your, for your for your moment for your pullback and and yeah. you you missed it in March right yeah well you got it finally
3: something you're getting it in some stocks but right. is it really a pullback like Joel is saying you can look at Apple and say oh what a deal at 109 well is it really you know and I'm just completely talking about my my book here because I own Apple and I've owned about- it for a long time but about- I mean. Apples. What's that? you are talking fundamentals in Apple, which, uh, you know. Well, and fundamentals do matter because this isn't some super growth company here. This is a company that's, you know, basically a big cash cow with the iPhone. And yes, they have some other products. And yes, they have the watch. But I mean, think about Apple for the last decade, you know, five years. It's been iPhone and they've been talking about the watch. I mean, we're still talking about the watch five years later. So, you know, to pay 30, 31 times for a company that really isn't growing isn't really that, you know, cheap. You know, when, when Apple back in March, when it got down to about 17, 18 times, net out cash, I mean, that's cheap. 16 times, 15 times, that's cheap. When you start talking, and valuation, we haven't talked a lot on the show because the market hasn't given two shits about valuation for a while. But you know what? When the markets start to fall apart, that is the investors that hold the market up. It's the value guys. And I'm saying the value guys are not interested in a lot of stocks here yet because stocks aren't cheap. So if you have the Momo guys getting the hell out because trend is broken, and the, you're hoping for the value guys to hold the market up, well the value guys are still sit on the sidelines saying, look, I'm paying 24, 25 times in a pandemic you know, on a lot of companies here, I, I, I'm out. So I mean, that's why you do have this potential that it could get uglier. Now, you know, we don't know, nobody's got a crystal ball and anybody who says they know where the market's going doesn't know anything. So we don't know where the market's going. We're just laying out different scenarios. And I'm saying if you're way under invested, maybe you pick some companies that you feel like, you know, are okay here right now. Um, you know, but I'm, am I coming here and buying snow because snow is going to go to 200 times revenues? No, I'm not. I'm not just, you know, throwing money on the hope trade that I'm going to find some, you know, a, a bigger dummy to buy from me afterwards. Um, you've got to use some fundamentals when it starts to fall apart. When it's all going up, it's all Momo, it's all growth. Use your trend. Trend is your f- friend. Fundamentals don't matter. They're starting to matter to a certain extent here right now. So we need to just be cautious with just randomly buying any stock on a pullback. You know, you can look at even something like a Fastly and say, "Oh, what a nice pullback here! It's seventy-nine dollars. It was a hundred and you know sixteen. This is a cheap stock." Well, it's not cheap. It was twenty bucks back in March. So you, you got to put it in perspective is that there's still a lot of fluff in this market, Mr. Alcon. And you were talking, yeah, about yeah, it, it's still there. <laughs> Snowflake fluff.
0: Uh, just, you know, to, just to wrap up this discussion and, and to move on. I mean, I am looking forward to the 2024 election. I, I, that's all I can say because I don't know what the hell is going to happen either way in the next four years. So, if anybody's got any good candidates on either side for 2024, let me know, because fasten your seatbelt, folks. I just yeah. see, you know, and that, that's, that's just, and I don't never, I mean, I've, I have voted, uh, you know, I voted for
3: Eisenhower,
0: you know, whatever. I actually, I wasn't quite born yet. But. I was
3: going to say, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you were quite that old, Joel. Yeah, but. <laughs> <Yeah. You laughs> we know, know you're old. I but. like
0: Ike, you know, but no, I, I, I just, this is just such an, you know, I'm, I'm no history buff, uh, was a political science major, uh, but I just, you know, uncertainty. And that's one thing the market doesn't like. I see a whole hell of a lot of uncertainty out there um, and a lot of different things. So we'll see. The market is famous for climbing a wall where you have a very accommodative Fed. I don't know how much, you know, how many more bullets they have in the chamber. They'll figure something out. Oh,
3: yeah, they will. Oh, they said, yes, <laughs> unlimited bullets. Yeah. <laughs> unlimited bullets, you know, they were going to let inflation run rampant. You know, they, 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 they say it's under 2% and we know that's just complete lies is what that is. Yeah, you can look at the data that it's all lying data to you. I mean, you look at lumber price of 189%, you know, my housing quote, you know, going up, you know, basically, you know, 30% from what it was last year. I mean, but we don't have any inflation and you look at, you know, yeah, two by four, my dad complained it was three, but four bucks to in two months ago is now eight bucks. I mean, maybe it's just lumber, but it's not. There's other things that are going high too. I mean, I look, you know, even the, you know, even the play set, you know, that my, my kids are playing on outside, you know, it was, you know, a thousand dollars or $1,100. I look at that price of that. Now the same place is $1,600. You know why? Because all the parks are closed and you can't get a hold of them. So they jacked the price up on them all. So, I mean, don't kid yourself. There's no, we haven't had 2% inflation ever. It's always been higher than that. They just take everything out that's inflationary, but it's a hell of a lot higher than 2%. So don't listen to Powell. They're all using data that lies. It's way higher than 2%. We had Gil Morales on here. Remember when he was on a year ago and he was saying if they put everything, he did, he did a paper on it. And he said, if they put everything back in that they took out of, C, of the index, of the way they calculate inflation, we're running around 7%. That feels right. We have not run two percent forever, so that's just you know just BS.
0: What's this? Does anybody know the uh, symbol for the lumber futures on TradeStation? I have it. Uh, if they do, I just like that because I know they've. This is a good indicator of inflation, but I'll try and find. I mean, it just here. think
3: of the housing prices and what's happened. You know, if you go back and think about Joel, you've priced out you know houses, and obviously oh. in Canadian, U.S. But you know, we were building in Canada at two hundred bucks a square foot. 15 years ago, you know, pretty nice stuff, 200 bucks a square foot. Now that's 400 to 500 a square foot. Yet they're telling us there's no inflation, but your biggest cost to your consumer is your house. And you see housing prices exploding. Why do you think housing houses keep going up and, in, in, you know, everywhere really? It's because the input cost of building a house are a hell of a lot more than they used to be. So, I mean, th- this is just, you know, nonsense that, oh, yeah, we're running, you know, our biggest risk is deflation. Give me a break. That's yeah, just know, garbage.
0: And then I don't even want to think what's going to happen if we, if, you know, if the Fed has to start bumping up rates. Then, I mean, they sit I don't know. I, a lot of things. Here. Let's move on. to. And you, an when you individual. print this
3: much money, just to continue on, yeah, I'll, I'll b- bring Mark <laughs> in here right now, too. But when you print this much money, it's basic economics. It's got to chase the same amount of money keeps getting printed. It's going to push prices up. You keep giving out money, it's going to push prices up. And it is. And we are seeing serious inflation here in certain areas. You know, Maybe your loaf of bread isn't up that much. But Joel, I can remember buying a loaf of bread for 99 cents. Can you still get a loaf of bread anywhere for 99 cents? I remember that not so long ago. What's Mark think about the inflation argument? Because I'm arguing that inflation is a hell of a lot higher than 2%. That's on, that's on mute, Mark. First, Mark's on mute. See, yep, he's still on mute. Yep. There he is. There we go. Um,
4: I think inflation probably is understated relative to what it really is, but I don't think that matters from an investment point of view.
3: It, it that, can eventually, though. Like, what are your thoughts here? I mean, yeah, we but get eventually a. Eventually, significant...
4: we're all dead. Come on.
3: <laughs> Not long enough. That's zero hedge nice. talking, there, Mark. No, on a long enough time frame. Mayer, we're all. We all go to zero.
4: (laughs) No, it's John Maynard Keynes. Is that Uh, where it's from? Is that where Zero Hedge took it from? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Uh, The Fed basically pivoted from talking about inflation as the driver for rates to unemployment or employment, which is um, good and bad. They basically said, unless and until we get acceptably full employment, rates are going to stay low. Well, that's not happening for a long, long time, which is why people are talking about 2024.
3: So well, how do you play this market? I mean, we've got everybody's want a pullback to buy. We get the pullback, and now, you know, I'm nervous about it. Maybe I should be just backing up the truck because we're going to continue to see asset prices soar and this free fed free money for everyone fed that's out there. Or does it all change because of the election? We get a new president in there who's not so focused on the markets. He's more focused on Main Street. Is that is, are there implications there? What does Mark Chaikin think about the landscape going forward here?
4: I'm going to be like the two-handed economist today. Uh, I think <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bifurcated market. You want to sell strength, uh, particularly earnings reports, which are going to be coming up in October, but Adobe is, uh, you, you can find a million of them, Adobe, Chewy, NVIDIA, all these stocks cried out to be sold uh, on the spike after earnings. On the other hand, we're still looking to accumulate stuff on this pullback. So uh, I think there's only one technical indicator to look at, and that's price. And so 3,200, 3,250 has been my Maginot line. It roughly equates to a 10% drop in the S&P 500. And uh, so far September's playing out according to script, except that we compressed a lot of the selling into that uh, three-day NASDAQ sell-off a week and a half ago, but uh, still bullish in the names that we like and, what,
3: what are those names?
4: Well, the, the home builders, the quality uh, tech stocks with uh, proven cash flows like Adobe, NVIDIA, uh, Microsoft, maybe Amazon. They're all pulling back, but there's one name that I think everybody needs to follow, which is FedEx. And FedEx didn't really get pounded on their earnings report yesterday. FedEx is the poster child for the shop-at-home, stay-at-home economy. And look what FedEx is doing. Everything flows through FedEx, basically, to get delivery. And I think as long as FedEx maintains that very steep uptrend, obviously, we're going to get a pullback in here from that earnings spike, that the market's in good hands. But having said that, if we break the 3,200 level, then I'll start being cautious and let the stops take me out of the positions that we like. Um, I, I think... Buying puts ahead of that is unnecessary. Uh, selling stocks on strength is okay. It's, it's actually a good thing to do in here.
2: That goes against what? Uh, sort uh, Actually, no. That kind of fits what we were saying earlier. I don't know. It, it's just a weird time. So, Mark, how, how do you, how would you approach the market now? We've got sort of a lack of uh, lack of real catalyst here for the next. I guess months until we get to the next uh, earnings season, and then the election is sort of within that window. So, for the next three, four weeks, you're ha- you know, how would you tactically approach this?
4: I would buy oversolds as long as check and money flow stays positive and they hold their long-term trend lines. So a lot of these stocks are at their long-term trend lines now. Amazon and uh, the like are there, but I, I think you still got to buy dips. Remember, a lot. I don't know what your listeners are positioned in, but the bigger numbers say that individuals have trillions of dollars in money market funds. So they're still not participating and the, the institutions are coming in, but they're basically on the sidelines. So the one demographic that's clear cut to me is home building. They had a really nice correction, 10 to 15% down into the lows. I guess it was the last time I was on, a Thursday, two weeks ago, Wednesday. And then they rallied up to equal their old highs. I think you have to wait for another pullback. But with interest rates at zero and with the trends out of the city, even if they don't accelerate but just maintain the pace, someone said there's 15,000 people a day moving out of New York City. You, uh, then the builder is a place to be.
2: You said you would, you would buy something as long as the chicken money flow uh, stayed positive, but uh, can you explain chicken money flow?
4: Yeah, we look back over 21 days. It's an indicator that's been around for 39 years since 1981, publicly available. It looks at where a stock closes in its range um, and relates that to the volume. So if you get a stock that's typically closing high up in its range, that means that the sellers have been satisfied early in the day, and there's latent buying at the end of the day, whether it's day traders, algorithmic traders, or real uh, people buying it. Um, on the other hand, weak stocks tend to close lower in their range. It's it's an old concept, it was pioneered by Larry Williams and Joe Granville in a sense. And we look back over 21 days, so if you look at a stock like Adobe, NVIDIA, these are stocks that had pullbacks from the April breakout, but checking money flow stayed positive. And that tells us that smart money continues to buy on weakness. It's a, it's a great way to see if smart money is contributing to the rally or taking advantage of the rally.
2: And, and this, this indicator is is on most, uh, I, I would think, if not every major trading platform, right? It's a technical indicator.
4: It, it's a technical indicator that measures supply and demand. It's on, every online brokerage platform, stockcharts.com, you name it, it's been there for 30 years, 40 years, been doing a great job in this bull market of identifying the stocks that you want to buy on dips. And some of these dips are very shallow. Now they're getting a little more um, typical in that we're getting some nice oversolds under the 21-day average. But um, that's why I say it's a bifurcated market. I, I'm a big fan of selling on strength. So even yesterday morning, uh, you had an upgrade on NVIDIA. You had the Adobe earnings report. They spiked up 2%. It wasn't the 4 or 5% that we've been used to. But look where they closed and look where they're trading pre-market. There's a 6% swing. So even an um, intermediate investor who's in early, let's say he bought NVIDIA 360 where we first recommended it, it's okay to take a profit and then look to buy it back on a six to 7% pullback. That's, that's a big pullback in these uh, mega cap tech names. Mark, We're on you? the
0: line with Mark Shakin of Shakin analytics joins our show every couple of weeks to give us technical and fundamental outlook on the market. Uh, Mark, I just want to, I just want to go back. I want to look at, you know, the, the meltdown in March and April and the market coming back in May and June. And, uh, you know, myself included, and, and I think Dennis could uh, attest to the same thing. Uh, we were a non-believer in a rally at first, and we kind of stayed in the, uh, in the bearish camp. Um, I think uh, it's safe to say that you were, you were in that, that camp too. Uh, you turned. There was a point, and I know it was several hundred handles ago in the S and P's, um, that you turned, and now you're you're on the bullish side. You're looking for the pullback. It's always important to catch turns in the market, major turns in the market, uh, with the expiration coming up. The quad, witch expiration you know, do you think this is a, maybe a turning point for, you know, a down three to six month cycle or what, you know, like way beyond 3,200, like 3,000 or 2,800 or 2,700 wouldn't even be out of the ordinary. What's your, what's your trigger for more than this is just a, you know, a a pullback to buy, whereas, you know, we're going to go spend some time under 3,000 in the S&P. Well,
4: 3,200 is the trigger. And the reason is when you get to a, 10% 10% or more closing decline in the S&P 500, you're out of the pullback range and you're into the correction range, which is 10 to 20% and it takes longer. The, the, I think that what viewers should know is that pullbacks tend to last a month and they average 7%. That's exactly where you are in the S&P 500. 7% pullback intraday to intraday, maybe 8%. And it's, it hasn't even lasted a month. So I, I don't think that the uptrend has been broken. I think the, you know, the much-talked-about Fed put is real. And you know, what else can the Fed to do, do in terms of bullets? Buy S&P futures. Come on, guys. Janet Yellen wrote about that in August in an editorial. She said, what's next? Are they going to buy futures? That was like the canary in the coal mine. If things break, I think the Fed will buy stock index futures. Don't have any proof of that, but there's been more than a. There they already are, Mark. Oh, well,
3: there does, they are. Does that change after the election if we do get Biden, though? Does that change?
4: No, I think the Fed is probably going to be more accommodative to the economy if Biden wins, because I think that Powell is sensitive to looking political. And obviously, with Trump being the cheerleader for the stock market and the reopening economy. Uh, you could say that the more dovish that um, the Fed is, the more they're playing into Trump's reelection uh, plans. So, if the Fed and Powell are genuinely concerned about the state of the economy, and it's fragile, guys, don't, you know, that your, your concerns are founded, not unfounded. Uh, but if the Fed is genuinely concerned, then I think, uh, particularly since Biden may start talking about rolling back the tax cut which could create some short-term weakness after the election, Joel, I agree with you there, Uh, that the Fed's going to remain accommodative. I mean, you know, anybody in Washington knows that there's a changing of the guard. And, you know, Powell didn't say we're going to keep interest rates low, but only if Trump is the president. He basically said, because the economy is soft and without additional fiscal stimulus, we got to do everything we can. But that's another Key point, And that speaks to, you know, will the market respond on the upside without another f- stimulus package? Part of yesterday's early strength and even after the Fed was the fact that it looked like Mark Meadows was uh, caving a bit and saying that a, a bigger stimulus bill was, was right around the corner. So I, I think uh, if you're looking for an upside catalyst, it would be that stimulus bill because it's desperately needed. Companies cannot afford to rehire without a stimulus bill. People look at retail sales. They dipped uh, in part because the uh, PPP is off, you know, and not not been replaced. And the unemployment uh, bonanza is no longer what it was. So there's a lot of dynamics, but markets tend to rally before an election. Um, And you're also seeing a rotational shift. Stocks like Procter & Gamble suddenly have a bullish power gauge rating. I think where you have to be careful, Joel, uh, to your point, stocks like Shopify, where the fundamentals are underwhelming the stock price. So Shopify uh, picked up a bearish rating and shaken for the first time in six months.
3: Well, the trend's broken and the valuation's insane.
4: So those are the stocks you really have to be careful. If stocks like Zoom and Chewy, which we like from a technical point of view, Chewy from a fundamental, Peloton, if these stocks break support, then you got to be careful about those stocks. But this really is a market of stocks and has been since April. And if you're focusing on the right sectors and industry groups, and right now that's technology uh, and and some consumer discretionary, uh, a la Home Builders and, uh, and Amazon, then I think you're going to be okay here being long. Uh, but again, two-way market. Sell the spikes when you get them. They're Almost every week you get a saleable spike, but yeah. look for buying opportunities on dips.
2: All right. Mark taking with more of a, uh, a macro uh, view uh, on on today's show. Mark, thanks so much
3: for the uh, time. Joel, Joel's you...
4: frowning. I don't think jo- Joel liked the macro view. I can be controversial, Joel.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Joel just frowns. That's what he no, does. No, no. <laughs> I, I,
0: no, I mean, it's... it's uh, it's a difficult market right now, and I, I, don't, I don't see it getting any easier over the next two months or through the end of the year. Joel's bearish.
4: Yeah. No, wall of worry. I mean, you, you nailed it in your intro. Market climbs a wall of worry. It, when, when everything is rosy, you don't want to be uh, you know, buying them. You want to be selling them. And everything is not rosy right now. I agree with you there. By the way, Tesla, which had a bullish rating and had that twenty-five percent run up before and after the split, now has a neutral rating. So you'd runs. be a
3: seller. The t- it's had such a big pop here, eight-day rally from three twenty-nine to four. Well, I got over four fifty. So basically, getting two-thirds of the losses back from the wicked five-day sell-off. So you'd be a seller of that Tesla rally.
4: I, as a trader, I'd be a seller. I mean, long-term, you know, people believe the, the trillion. Uh, trillion valuation theory, uh, maybe they're gonna be right. But as a trader, I would sell the rally. All
2: right, Mark, thanks for the time today. We'll talk in a couple weeks. Pleasure, be good. All right, we just got initial jobless claims for whatever that's worth. Not sure if it- Yeah, not really. uh, If we care as much about that now as we did, perhaps back in March, April and May, Uh, it was better, I'm sorry, it was worse than expected uh, for last week. So there was that uh same story for actually continuing claims is getting better but uh in any case eight to 30 here we're gonna have our next guest will hershey on in five minutes let's go to some individual stocks here since we have too many today uh pre-market uh stock or mover of the day to the upside is sorrento srne uh the news here uh it is covid related they got approval from the fda to proceed with a phase one clinical trial of a of their COVID drug that I guess neutralizes uh, uh, antibodies in uh, in COVID uh, patients.
3: So I think all these stocks are sells on the rallies. I know I've been taking some heat from a few people on Novavax because it's come back a long ways in the last little bit. I mean, yeah, the COVID vaccine trade has come back. Moderna, Novavax, Cerebro. I think it stalls out eventually, and eventually these stocks start going back down. I don't know. Sorrento is a wild one. It could go to 13, 14. It could do anything. I mean, look at Kodak yesterday, you know, when you start squeezing them, they can get just silly. And obviously Kodak, you know, went from, um, you know, at, at eight, eight sixty or eight 70, we're talking on the show. And ended up going over 11 bucks It so eventually did crater and give it back. But you're squeezing them in Sorrento a little bit here this morning. I'm not sure what the short interest is, but anybody out here is sure getting squeezed um, up 33%. It's a nice pop. And and when I come into this stuff, I mean, it's harder to say, okay, I'm going to short it here because you don't know where it's going to go. But if I'm long this, I'm using these rallies, just like Mark just said, I'm using these rallies to sell, selling into the strength. I mean, I think Novavax is giving you a fantastic opportunity to get the hell out Um, because I do think when the dust settles here, I think Novavax is going to be a lot lower. Uh, But right now, they're rebuying these these vaccine plays. I'd use the opportunity to get the hell out, my opinion.
0: Uh, nice area to focus on for uh, Sorrento traders you did just sneak over twelve dollars going to twelve ten and then you go over to the dailies here and you see a couple of highs right in that area eleven seventy two eleven ninety so that 's the bogey you get twelve get over twelve things open up uh, to thirteen thirteen based on a uh, on the daily chart but uh, Backed off ninety cents of it. Uh, the longer it takes, and and I've explained this before. When you get a pre-market high like that, and the longer it takes to get over that pre-market high, and close it, or you know, close above it. Then you got more chance for a follow through on the downside. And a good example was FedEx yesterday. Uh, traded 262, almost 262 in the pre market. Yeah. Never saw that during the regular session. So, you know, if you're super momentum, you want to, you know, see this thing go to 1314. Well, first, see if it can take out the pre market high.
2: And then, uh, as far as stocks moving to the downside this morning. Today. Um, hey. Play is probably your leader, one of your leaders here. The company, according to the Wall Street Journal, warned that if they can't reach a deal with their lenders, they may have to file
3: for bankruptcy. What, what, what stock are you talking? I'm sorry, I missed it. Dave & Buster's Play. What are they saying? They're saying bankruptcy? If, if they cannot reach a deal
2: with their lenders, they're gonna, they may have to file.
3: The stock's at $17. They're talking about filing for bankruptcy? Well, so some obviously something's you know disconnected there because the stock doesn't show anything. Like it's not like it's Pier One Imports and it's trading down at a buck. I mean, you know, or I guess I don't even know Pier One Imports aren't on the board anymore. But <laughs> I but, mean, it was I the longest to go off. But I mean, we're talking. You know, we we've been talking about this potential to happen. I'm just you know surprised that you know, stock's still at seventeen dollars. and Now they're talking about bankruptcy. I mean, it's impressive that the stock's holding up that well, only down ten percent because that's a horrible headline.
2: You know what I. <laughs> This may have been a nugget that was buried in their earnings report last week, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this is new information.
3: We, we had earnings, but we might go bankrupt. <laughs> I don't know. I, all I know is when stocks talk about bankruptcy, doesn't make me really overly excited to buy them. They're not all going to turn out to be PCG and you know survive through a bankruptcy and have equity value. Usually, when stocks go through bankruptcy, the equity shareholders get wiped out. So that's nervous. Like I'd be nervous on that, but I challenge. You know, I'd I'd assume they're probably going to get the money, or the stock would be at seventeen dollars.
0: Uh, you did dip under sixteen. Uh you got to fifteen sixty one, and now you're back up at seventeen fifty. So I'd I'd keep an eye on that seventeen fifty. See if we can get into that. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people would like to see the bottom of yesterday's range at eighteen twenty three. Uh Falling back, I mean this stock's not that far off. Well, I mean it's moved off its March lows, but in compare in comparison to everything else, it really has not had much of a rally. Uh, you have a three day low at sixteen ten. I'm not exactly what happened on the fourteenth, but uh, I'd use that now that we've uh, pulled back off the seventeen fifty level. Use sixteen ten as p- potential support above the pre market low. Uh, we're just we're just We're melting.
3: Down. I mean, Apple's through the 110 now. You got to sell the rallies. You're going to get more rallies. I think, I think you want to lighten up. If you're, if you're all in and you're on margin, you absolutely don't want to be there right now. I hate to say, I know there's a lot of people messaging me you know, on different stocks. And they talk like Rocket and different, you know, you've got to be careful. When you are investing and if you're new and you're sitting on margin, um, it can be really dangerous. And I mean, yes, I've bought some Rocket. It looks like it's going to break down. So, you know, here are talking against my book here, too. I stuck some in the retirement account because I like the story, believe in the Detroit, and I like the Jason Rasnick pick here. But with that being said, the technicals look really crappy on G- uh, on a RKT. It's a stock that's widely followed, and it looks like it's ready to break down here again. And, and, you know, I don't see much until 20 bucks. So I think you could see RKT hit 20 Um I'll probably add to it, but if you're sitting on margin with some of these positions and you're like, you know, like, oh, it's got to come back and you're hoping it's going to come back or I'm in trouble, don't get yourself in that situation. You know, stay diversified in your trading portfolio and don't. I, I don't like investing on margin at all. I trade with margin, but you know, I, we know what you're me. Flat. I trade you're flat. I trade market neutral. So what does that mean? I have equal longs and equal shorts. So like today, I'm long a lot of stocks, but I'm short a lot of stocks too. And so my net impact is... I'm not getting, getting hit. And people say, well, how do you make money if you're trade market neutral? Well, I'm, you know, I've got some stocks that I believe in the story that I believe are gonna outperform. And I got some stocks that I think are really weak and are gonna underperform. And, you know, and obviously the last couple of days, I've been you know, rotating a little bit, especially into a little more value names. Like right now, I'm more inclined to buy the general electrics of the world, believe it or not. My trading portfolio, not my investing portfolio, because these you know, started to show the turn yesterday at two o'clock. So if you look at the IWM this morning, you look at the queues, queues are significantly lower than IWM. You saw a nice spike in a lot of value names yesterday. So the value love comes back into play, and identifying those trends can make you some money. Right now, the Momo stuff, big time, out of favor. All right, we talk about
2: stories here. Uh, Who has a hotter story right now than than sports betting and esports? Our next guest can speak to that. Will Hershey is on with us. He is the co-founder and CEO of Roundhill Investments. Uh, They've got the NERD ETF, the BETZ ETF. Will, good morning.
1: Good morning, guys.
2: Thanks for having me. Uh, so we've been talking about, uh, you know, the names in the space of a lot of late. They've been in the news. DraftKings has announced a number of partnerships uh, of, of late. Uh, they're very, it's a very hot space. Uh, give us the rundown on, on, on the sports betting uh, industry right now, sort of where it's at. Uh, your fund your in particular has a lot of overseas exposure. Uh, so just talk about where the space is right now.
1: Sure. Um, I think really all of the excitement that we're seeing in the market right now is really, even though we have a lot of that exposure in Europe, Australia, UK, the excitement's all about the US market, right? And what we're seeing going on on a global basis is taking a step back. Gambling is the largest form of entertainment globally. So You're talking about $500 billion of gross gaming revenues per year. And we're seeing two things go on from a from kind of a secular standpoint, and then secondly, from kind of more of a short-term catalyst. The secular transition is something we're seeing kind of across the board, which is a shift from a physical economy to a digital economy. And that, that kind of same concept is playing out where consumers are now open to the concept of, instead of going to a casino or going to a physical sports book, are now comfortable placing those bets um, online. And that's something that we're gonna continue to see and in the U.S., I think, um, you know, we're just starting to have various states roll out um, kind of regulation and legalization. Remember, on a federal level, sports betting only became, you know, kind of legal with the repeal of PASPA uh, in 2018. So this is kind of a new phenomenon for the U.S. And what you're seeing in the U.S. is really it's it's a gold rush. And you're seeing, you know, the DraftKings partnership with ESPN. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys watch Monday Night Football, but it felt like every single commercial was – bet or DraftKings or FanDuel. Um, and I think kind of on the shorter term catalyst, but we're going to start to see this play out, is you have states that as you're kind of in the wake of coronavirus and some of them coming into it even have budget deficits. And, you know, what better way to kind of, kind of turn on the switch and shift from a black market to a regulated market, collect meaningful tax revenues by kind of state by state legalization. And I think that the market's kind of getting excited for that. Um, but I mean, this is, this is gold rush time. This is no pun intended at inning one or two, um, in kind of the U S sports betting story. Do,
2: do you think that the public markets are, are like behind in a way and that the, 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 recent enthusiasm is just, is just investors playing catch up to, it's been a pretty slow develop slow developing theme. You mentioned, you know, the, the, the law changed two years ago now, right? So yeah. it, it's taken a while for this to develop in the public markets. Is that part of it?
1: I think that's part of it. I think you also had, I mean, let's remember where we were, you know, only a couple months ago. Um, we didn't know if, you know, what sports were going to get played, if any. Um, we just got news yesterday that the the Big Ten's actually going to go ahead with their season. I mean, there's been so much uncertainty just around whether sports themselves are going to get played that I think, I think in that sense, kind of from a shorter-term standpoint, sure, the, the market's definitely kind of playing catch-up. But also remember that kind of a lot of these names – um, particularly U.S. listed names um, that people are starting to get really excited about are, are relatively new stories. Um, you know, DraftKings only came public via via SPAC earlier this year. Um, Penn National is a, you know, a company that's been around for a long time, but the story completely shifted overnight when they invested into Barcelona Sports, and now they're kind of trying to become that digital first platform. So I think there's just so many catalysts on a day-to-day basis now that's really kind of kind of driving it, but no, you're absolutely right. I mean, this, is, this has been in motion for several years, um, but, but I think finally we're getting to the point now where you know, there's enough kind of states that are up and running that, that the data is starting to, starting to play out. And actually just over the last couple of days, we've seen um, kind of the figures come out from New Jersey, from Pennsylvania, yeah. like all time highs in terms of the amount wagered, kind of we call it handle, um, in each of these states. And, and I think that just speaks to pent up demand um, and kind of this more concept that people are comfortable betting from their phones.
2: Can you uh, outline just the types of companies that the BETZ ETF is, is, is holding in terms of, you know, where they fall on the industry spectrum?
1: Sure. Um, so the first one is is pretty straightforward and it's the, the sportsbook operator. So actually the companies that are kind of offering these B2C platforms um, in some cases they're, they're still doing it brick and mortar, but really we're interested in the ones that are kind of offering these, um, mobile betting platforms. Then you've got iGaming companies. It's, it's interesting because all the attentions on sports betting right now. Um, and I think for good reason, uh, you know, everyone's excited for the return of sports, but iGaming, which is really online poker, online slots, online casino is the long-term higher margin moneymaker where a lot of these sports books are going to end up kind of making most of their money is in iGaming. And there are some players that are kind of um, more pure plays on that sector. We have an the ETF. Uh, then you have technology providers. Um, so an example, I think a lot of people, it was a darling there for a second is, is GAN. Um, yeah, a, lot, to- a
2: lot of people in our chat asking, asking, I think for your thoughts on GAN.
1: <laughs> we can go there right now if you want. Sure. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Let, me, let me finish yeah, and we'll get, yeah, yeah, we'll, get yeah, yeah. we'll get to GAN, we'll get to GAN, but anyway, the, the technology providers like again, like a Canby, I mean, these are kind of your picks and shovels way of playing in the industry, right? They're, they're licensing their technology to the, to the front end, uh, to the companies that are kind of utilizing it for their front ends. Um, last two groups are, are, are lead generation, which we'll see what happens with the lead gen companies. Historically, the, the kind of, everything's all about customer acquisition in the gambling business it's you're seeing it front and center right now with these media partnerships. I mean, there's been over the last 12 months, there's been like five major media partnerships, but historically you know, you know, companies that focus on gambling related lead generation has been an interesting place. And then the last grouping, which um, you know, there's, there's different companies are taking a different approach to, to mobile and digital, but you do have the brick and mortar casinos that are starting to get involved uh, look at MGM through BetMGM. They have a, a JV with uh, GVC. Um Caesars is also starting to make a push into online. Uh, so they're kind of, they kind of round it out. But I think they're, you know, if you look at how the casino, you know, the brick and mortar casinos have performed versus the mobile first sports books, it's, it's kind of night and day. But that's the nice concept that you get with the thematic ETF. You're getting kind of different ways to play the same story.
2: All right. You mentioned GAN. It was a darling. It's not anymore. Uh, a lot of people aren't in our chat. Uh, have, have been asking us about this once. I'll ask you about Gan. Uh, w- what's going on there?
1: Yeah, I, I think people also need to need to take a step back and remember that Gan was listed in London before they listed in the U.S. And if you look at the if you look at the chart going back to if you were a shareholder, you know, in UK, it's it's still well above where it was trading. And I think that actually speaks to a different phenomenon, which is kind of this valuation arbitrage where. The U.S. listed names that offer pure pure, pure play exposure here trading at a way higher multiple than what they are in Sweden, in the U.K. But in terms of GAN, I mean, I think when the earnings report came out, um, they kind of snuck in the headline that they were losing the FanDuel sportsbook business. Um, At the same time, like that was that was something they had highlighted in their S1. I I don't don't think that should have been a surprise to anyone. And now I think what you've seen over the last couple of days is a sell off related to Penn. Um, I think some, some parts of the market were expecting that they were going to get, given that they have uh, Penn's social gaming platform, uh, social uh, casino business, that they were going to get the sportsbook and the Barcel rollout as well. They didn't get that. That went to GTG, which is an Australian firm. Um, so I think there's kind of been a couple negative catalysts, if you will. But look, I mean, they're still positioned to kind of be one of the premier third-party providers to the to the industry. And I think they're probably gonna get Barstool and Penn's eye gaming business, which as I mentioned, I think is the really interesting long term play here. Anyway, they still have um FanDuel's eye gaming business too. So I-, I wouldn't get too overly worried, but um, you know, it trades at a fancy multiple as well.
2: It does yeah, that's what happens. Joel, I think you had some.
0: Yeah, I mean they uh just you know, looking, you know, far out here, I mean they don't call Las Vegas lost wages for nothing. Right. (laughs) I mean, all those, all those beautiful hotels and free meals and everything. I mean, they do that because people lose, right. Majority of the people lose money at, at casinos and wagering or the track or whatever. I mean, there's a very few, I mean, the books are the ones that make the money and that's what you're seeing now. I mean, do you just, is there just an endless supply of money coming from consumers to, to spend on gambling and wagering and really in this kind of economic environment? Is it just, uh, just something that's just perpetual? The losers are just going to drop out and new people are going to come in or the losers are going to go get more money and mortgage their house and, and lose more? Do you see, you know, is it just an endless supply of money to streaming into the, uh, into the gambling market?
1: I mean, you know, I I kind of think so. When it's it's really difficult to get a handle on what the black market looks like here. I mean, I can speak personally. You know, don't come don't come and arrest me. But I've placed bet you know placed bets before you know pre 2018. Yeah. Um, and and I think a lot of people just view it as entertainment. And I don't think the casual um, sports better expects to make a ton of money doing it. I think it's just another way kind of engage with content and when I look at younger generations and, and I look at what's going on with Major League Baseball why isn't Major League Baseball as successful with with Gen Z and younger generations I think it's because the game is slow and there's not kind of that feeling of, of engagement and excitement throughout the game and I think what what sports betting really offers is kind of this second derivative form of engagement especially as we get to the point where we've really perfected live in-game betting where you can feel like you're part of it and I, I, I think that you know, that's kind of a longer term trend that I think is, is definitely going to continue. But yeah, I mean, there's, you know, it's very difficult to measure the size of the black market here. But as I mentioned, I, you know, the largest form of form of entertainment globally, um, you know, people have fun, um, you know, whether it's betting on sports or, 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 you know, playing blackjack. I don't think that stops.
2: So it's interesting that you've got the, the BETZ ETF and also the Nerdy TF. I was listening to your interview on, on the, uh, the Trillions podcast uh, the, 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 this morning. It, it would seem that, you know, there's only so much time of the day. People only have so much attention. It would seem that in some respects, uh, esports and sports, sports betting are, are, are competing forces in a way.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, in theory, anything that's that's entertainment is competing with one another. I think going going to the esports concept on a few conference calls ago, Reed Hastings said that the biggest competitor for Netflix wasn't I mean, HBO; it's Fortnite, right? And I think all of these different entertainment uh, platforms are competing with one another. However, I mean, when when you look at sports betting, um, you know, whether it's daily fantasy or actually placing a bet, it's kind of like you set your your lineup or you place your bet and you know, that, that's kind of it. And I think the, you know, the time that it takes to do that is, is intentionally, you know, you can do it really quickly. Um, so I think it maybe competes less than, than some of these others where it's really um, being as engaged, but no, I mean, look at that. That's the name of the game right now. And I think actually you kind of in a way allude to something that I think is going to be really interesting, which is more and more entertainment is getting free to consume. Um, and I could see an environment where, Uh, sports books move vigs closer and closer to zero over time. And that's kind of um, a play where you figure out other monetization channels, right? We've seen that with video games where they're now free to play. They monetize you within the game, Um, you know, advertising on, on Twitch and different game streaming platforms. I mean, it's all a play for eyeballs at the end of the day.
2: Uh, Just going back to just uh, the, the sports betting here. Are there any names that you think investors don't know about, but should know about. So the opposite of gain perhaps.
1: Yeah, no. Um, so not a recommendation. Uh, let me just clarify that. But um, I do think some of the most interesting names, I don't know if, if listeners, viewers can, can play outside of the U.S., but I honestly think that they're some of the most interesting ones. Um, I look at Flutter, uh, which is the parent of FanDuel, the parent of PokerStars, Paddy Power, Betfair, uh, listed in London, uh, I think there might be an ADR, I don't know how li- liquid it is. And I, I'd always typically kind of recommend that if you can, if you can play in the local where there's more liquidity, that's usually better. Um, but look at, I mean, if you look at how they're trading, um, you know, DraftKings is trading at, you know, I don't know what the multiple is now on sale. We're talking about multiples on sales for flutter. We're talking about a multiple on, on real net income and earnings. Um, and and they have the same tailwinds as well, and, and they're very well positioned within the U.S. FanDuel, I think, could be the end, you know, could be the winner in the U.S. They're one I like, um, and then if you're if you're a fan of Gan, but, um, you know, maybe maybe you're looking to switch. I think Canby, which is actually uh, listed in Sweden, has a similar story to Gan, but they're actually you know winning new business and winning new contracts and kind of focused on that B two B sportsbook side.
2: Oh, real fast, Joel. Uh, Flutter has uh, has a ticker in the U.S. It's OTC. It's PDYPY, and the the other one was was uh, say it again.
1: Can be. I don't think they have an ADR.
3: Okay.
0: Uh, flutter is the one that bought our stars group, right, Dennis? Yeah. Correct. Believe, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah
3: Joe were too early on this trade. We way bought too stars early. way too early, like two years, three years ago. Yeah. And then it leaked and leaked and leaked. Uh. Eventually got bought by flutter, but we were way too early.
0: Yeah. And then we sold out after the deal and then it kept on going. Um, I just want to ask you just as far as, um, game Wagering. And, uh, you know, one site that I was involved with, uh, you know, uh, designing trading software for uh, trade sports. And that was like the original one. And I know it kind of had a muddled past with uh, John, DeLady, lady, the founder and everything. But you know, when is that, I mean, that, that could be a big boon, you know, it, you know, where you have the game wagering and football games used to like, you know, there, there'd there be a market and then there'd be a play and there'd be no market. I mean, how, you know, yeah. what happened to trade sports and when do you see game wagering uh, becoming more, you know, more of a thing?
1: Yeah. I mean, we're, we're somewhat there um, in the sense that, you know, You know, lines are offered during halftime on the rest of the game, or you know, on a quarter. But I think where you're, what you're really talking about is kind of play-by-play stuff. Yeah. Um, And I think that where that's really interesting. I mean, I think in certain sports you kind of can't do it, right? I mean, like for hockey, for example, right? You can imagine how that's that's somewhat difficult to try and. (laughs) I guess (laughs) there's not that many wagers to really place in 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 that that situation. But I mean, that's that's the long term. Holy grail here is just, you know, kind of, you know, Are any of these costs? companies
0: going that way? Because that was the one that I would really, that that's the one that I'd really get yeah. interested
1: in. You know, I anyone? don't know off the top of my head who's the best, but you're really going to want to look at the data providers there. Because think about, I mean, the, the, the whole play there is, is mitigating risk and offering lines that make sense in real time. Uh, that people can't necessarily take advantage of, and I, I don't know who it is. That's probably the leader there. I can get back to you guys, but but I would say this: I think this is going to, and you've heard DraftKings kind of mention this too. I think this is why DraftKings valuation is where it is. Imagine a world where DraftKings is just your platform to bet or wager on anything that's going on in the world, kind of intra-game, if you will, whether it's The Bachelor or a basketball game or whatever. And I think that's like the the kind of long-term. Vision of where this could go. I know that sounds crazy. Maybe not the bathroom. No, team. I, I mean There's I know exactly words. what
0: you're talking about. I had a great trade in um American Idol, uh, when that guy <laughs> what was that guy's name? T- Taylor one? or Tyler?
3: The so, Taylor Hicks. Taylor
0: Hicks, yeah. I was there and I was I had my finger on my my on you know, my platform and it looked like the guy was gonna announce a T. And it was like 80% probability. And I just lifted <laughs> offers and I locked it up at 99. I just swept out the book and uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the contract. You armed
3: you <laughs> American Idol. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that
0: was fun. Right.
3: That was
0: fun. I miss that. I miss that a lot. But uh, all right, thanks a lot. We kept you um, a long time here yeah. and uh, we'll let you go. We got to cover some stocks, but interesting. We'll, we'll get you back on again. and. Trade sports, were, were you familiar with – I just got to ask that again. That,
1: that, that I'm, was – I'm not I'm, not. I'm not. I'm sure others wiser than I are, though. Thank you, guys. This was great. Right, have a good one. All boy. right. Thanks a lot. We appreciate
2: the time. Will Hershey again, uh, co-founder and CEO of Roundhill Investments, BETZ ETF and Nerd ETF. All right. Uh, to the chat we go. We uh, we got a few minutes here left in the show. Joel, that was a really, really good uh,
0: – I got a bad one. I got a bad trade that, sports story. That was too.
3: really good. That was, that was you really you want a bad one? Yeah, sure. give us a bad one. I
0: had – And believe it or not, I don't even know what year this was. I had, I loaded up on Michigan state, you know, to win the NCAA tournament. Okay. And, uh, they were playing on a Saturday night and, uh, Lisa and I went out with some friends and she asked me to take the babysitter home. And I'm like, okay, yeah, they were playing. I think they were playing North Carolina and they were up by like 14 and I didn't put any orders out. And so I dropped the babysitter off and I'm driving back and, Carolina starts coming back they start coming back I got in and I just like the contract traded up to like 80 I came in it was like 25% probability I just started smashing bids you know because you could have large positions in that for not much money so uh now that was fun and Michigan State of course let me down but uh I wish I would have had some automated trading for that one. That would have been a, that would have been a nice trade. That's a
3: high-frequency trading going for the trade sports. It's already out there, you probably. That's what you get. All right. Uh, All right what
0: else do we got? Three, we haven't covered oh, any stocks today.
3: Tickers, tickers. Oh, Just three minutes of tickers.
2: Microsoft here, guys. Let's take a Mark, look. Mark, it's
0: crushed, Dennis. What are you doing uh, out I'm there? I'm still
3: on Microsoft. It's perilously looking through the 200 here now. That is key support. It needs to bounce, 197.51. I'm sticking with it because I believe – and this long-term story still but as the short-term trade trend is broken. Man, a lot of trends are broken right now. Broken trends, broken markets. Next. Uh, we'll give Joel to, the next one. Same story here, I think, with Kroger. I mean. Joel, you taking,
0: yeah, you're going Kroger. You know what? Uh, they slammed this off a uh, off a decent report, so I don't know what the catalyst is coming forward. I'll stick with Warren on this one. I'll wait for it to make a couple lows in the same area, and then uh, you know make a little bit of turn. Uh, maybe just under this third. You're at some critical support right now. Uh, uh, just under $32, dollars 31 dollars $31. $31. So let's see if the big boys uh, step up here. Must hold level for Kroger.
3: Defensive play. I'd be a buyer at 30 Yeah.
0: Yep. It's
3: another $2 lower. I'm looking to get back in. All right. Uh, we haven't talked workhorse
2: all week. I don't know if you talked about it when I was out, but I haven't no. workhorse chart in three weeks.
3: It's been running, and it's been running up, and the EV plays have still been hot. We know even some of the SPAC EV plays have been hot um again it's going to be with that contract so that contract comes out this thing's going to double if they get it um the U- you were talking the usps contract if they don't get it it's going to get halved probably so there's a binary event that's going to happen here eventually um it's running you know valuations may be getting a little bit stretched but you know technical still look little good <laughs> okay a lot but you know technical still look good trends your friend it's holding up but this kind of gonna getting smacked on a day like this
0: uh, it just it's coming off the high. <clears throat> I'd use a twenty-four seventy-five. I give it another buck here. That splits the lows from the last two sessions. So if it doesn't hold there, I'm looking for more downside on it. Coming back on the upside, uh, if you sniff that close twenty-six eighty-two, that's all-time closing high. I think you'll find mounds of sellers there. I didn't even go out in twenty-six Sorry.
2: seventy. Uh, McDonald's low key all-time high.
0: What? Did yeah, McDonald's hit an all time high? Yep. Yep.
3: How? That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. This is a stock that I wanted to buy in the COVID crisis. I never did. And, you know, obviously we got down to 124, and we basically, you know, you're up 85% since the lows here just back in March. So it's been an impressive run. Everybody's still going to McDonald's, even though some of the dining rooms are closed. I mean, I don't know. Trends your friend. It's defensive. Probably buyers on the pullback. Uh, I mean, i'm not if, chasing it yeah i mean yeah. it's up so much you know the 224.81 not LH, cheap
0: yeah 224.81 uh that's your old time closing high and we are trading below that right now so 224.81 225 i think is uh especially if you get a down market here like what we're seeing um i think that i think that's going to be resistance that 226.72 could hold up for a while
2: are we allowed to go a with day without talking
3: about Nicola? I think we're allowed. Right? Nicola. Nicola. Uh, it's holding up. It's still holding up. You know the strength, of the support at 30 has been incredible. So as long as it's above 30, take a shot. Remember headline risk overnight, though. Whenever you're holding this overnight, there is risk, and if they uncover anything fraudulent, this thing could really get smacked. So you know, just be careful in this one. But right now, tactical 30 is holding.
0: I wonder if what's bad for Nicola is good for Workhorse. You know, right. just so. Uh, no, right. no, no, that's a stretch. I've been talking about 30 bucks for the last couple of days. Now, what, yeah, what you want to see is you want to see it get away from 30. You know, you don't want to see it hanging it's out. It's had there. bad
3: news, though, and it it's continues hanging. to bounce on. Every day it comes up with a negative headline, and every day it, it, it bottoms near 30 and rallies. So, I mean, the relative, the the strength and, and, and not obviously relative strength, but the strength on the negative headlines is impressive. I agree. So I will say that there is buyers who want the stock around 30 and they believe in the story and they believe, you know, just think of this scenario where, Hey, we uncover nothing, you know, and you know, the regulators go away. I mean, the stock probably goes significantly higher. So it's not only a case where they could uncover something, they might uncover nothing. And the stock probably goes a lot higher than. That's true. All right. That'll be a wrap for us. Let's see if we can get to
2: 300 likes on today's show. I want Let to me thank like you. you. That would be appreciated. Thank you. I want to thank our guests, Mark Chagin and Will. Liked. Hattie. Thank you, Dennis. Thanks to everyone in our chat, the benzinga.com slash pre prep chat, the Benzinga Pro chat, and our main chat, which is on YouTube. Uh, please remember all the information from our broadcasts are meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. You can always catch a replay on YouTube or catch our podcast on every major podcast platform. Email us for any questions, comments, concerns, feedback, premarket at benzinga.com. Everyone have a great rest of your day. We'll see you in the afternoon.